Hello, and welcome to the podcast. First, some quick introductions. Hi, I'm Adrian. I'm a composer and sound designer for video games and VR. I worked on Polybridge, Snow Fortress, and I'm currently working on Woten and some other projects as well. Hey, I'm Daniel. I'm an indie game developer, and I made an indie game called Pony Island in 2016. And now I'm working on a game called The Hex. Hi. I'm Grapplebug. I'm an animator and an independent game developer. I'm currently working on a puzzle platform game called Woten. So the idea behind our show is that all three of us are independent game developers, all based in Vancouver, kind of like living and working, you know, day to day on our stuff. And we all kind of share that same experience where because we're making games, we kind of don't really play games which I don't think is that uncommon among developers. Like you sort of feel like you you spend a lot of your working life on games. So you get this sort of reluctance to maybe play too many of them in your downtime, you know, because maybe you'd rather be doing something that doesn't make you think about video games constantly for your whole life. Yeah. But I mean, having said that, the danger there is sometimes you do lose like that authentic excitement for playing a video game, which I know is something that happens to me from time to time. Like sometimes I just don't know if I can get the enthusiasm back to play something, but there will always be those games from your own personal history that you always get excited about no matter what. And those will be the games that you're always, always pushing on to other people and recommending to them. Like you got to play this and you got to try that. And this one's awesome, you know, and, and your friends, they'll always be like, yeah, that sounds good. And then they'll never do anything about it. You know, Especially if they're busy people, they'll just Mm. sort of, you know, Mm -hmm. do their own thing. And if they do have a little bit of downtime, they'll just play Overwatch or whatever. They're not going to go to the effort to dig out their Game Boy or download an emulator. Right. That's the download. What are you talking about? (laughs) Do you understand what this Uh, guy's saying? No. Uh, no. I know for me lately, I've had a lot of deadlines, so... Typically, the games that I actually like playing are ones where I where I even know it is a shorter experience. Mm-hmm. It is maybe only two hours, four hours to play, maybe even less. Yeah, or you you or you end up playing something like a fighting game or or a first person shooter, or you just end up like replaying the missions in Metal Gear Solid Five because you like shooting people in the knees in slow motion. So we'll try to go a little bit beyond that and try to try to get back into some of like the core experiences of actually putting time into a game and actually appreciating it in like a longer format. Mm -hmm. Uh, So yeah, it should be fun. It should be good. Um, I'm excited to know what you guys are going to suggest later on down the line. So how does work? This is going to work. It's going to be like a kind of like a book club. Yeah. Kind of like a book club. Mm. Uh, You know, kind of like a book club, but definitely not like a book report. Like you don't have to like, you know, come back with your thoughts on every facet of the Mm -hmm. game. Like no need to really review it or anything, but if there's something that appeals to you and you want to talk about it in depth afterwards, like whatever you take out of the game, it would be great to know from your perspective, whatever that is. So what I wanted to get you guys to try was uh, the Legend of Zelda Oracle of Seasons on the Game Boy Color. So have either of you played this before? I haven't, no. I briefly played it as a kid, but I didn't get very far. Did you own it? Well, my uncle owned it. Right. And I went to his house and I uh, played it on his Game Boy a little bit. 
and I didn't get very far. And I, at the time, I played uh, Ocarina of Time, and I loved it. And when I tried that one, I was like, oh, this is not as exciting in 3D. So, oh, okay, well. But that was just me as a kid. Yeah, I mean, and you, you've grown a lot, and you've matured, and you've, yeah. you've grown out of your subpar opinions since then. <laughs> um, but, okay, Oracle of Seasons. Um, I don't know where I got this uh, game cartridge from because I thought I had Oracle of Ages and I was really excited to, you know, to tell you guys we're playing Oracle of Ages because that's the one that I actually know really well. Mm-hmm. So these are like, they're like sort of sister games to each other. They had some compatibility and like passwords that they shared. But I thought I had Oracle of Ages because that's the one I played, but I don't. And I have Oracle of Seasons. And I think I probably stole this from a childhood friend. but Or maybe we did like a trade where I gave him ages and he gave me seasons. But, you know, they're really similar games. And I'm I'm kind of excited anyway because it's like something that I know really well, but kind of not because it was ages instead. So basically, you are probably aware of it to some extent. The The basic idea is, you know, it's a 2D Zelda game. And what sets it apart is you have some control over the seasons, uh, which is really neat. Sort of like a power that you get is to cycle between different seasons. Mm -hmm. And that allows you to do things like overcome challenges and solve puzzles and interact with the world in really interesting ways. So Um, do you go between seasons and if you do something in one season, it affects sort of the another alternate world of the other season is that not really that's actually a lot more like oracle of ages which is kind of an interesting distinction to make oracle of ages as far as i remember it was sort of like you go into the past you change things Mm -hmm. and you come back to the present and what you've done had an effect over the timeline so you know things like people's destinies change because of the stuff you do in the past or you can change parts of the landscape because you know maybe something gets built or doesn't get built or whatever but in seasons it's more sort of like it's less about like a lasting impression and more about like, oh, there's a big lake here and you don't know how to swim yet. Mm-hmm. So you change the season to winter mm-hmm. and the whole lake is frozen over with ice. Yeah. You walk over and you can get into this cave and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like the gimmick in seasons. But I think it's a really nice gimmick. Like you might you might see like, oh, there's some plants that will probably grow in, in springtime or something mm-hmm. that will let me climb this wall that I want to that I want to go up. So it's kind of a more... I wouldn't say like temporary mechanic, but it has less of the cause and effect that might have been seen in something like Oracle of Ages. Were those games released at the same time? Yeah, I think they were both released in 2001. And how similar are they? Like, it it sounds like those two mechanics would be like pretty different. Like they'd be entirely different endeavors, but somehow it seems like they probably shared a lot of assets and stuff. They, I mean, the games definitely share loads of assets with each other. And actually... As far as I know, there was also a third game that was supposed to be like a, like a, you know, a set of three released mm. all at once. But I think, you know, something something was going wrong, and it was sort of like a bit of a bloated production, and maybe like too much to ask to get these three games out. So they just focused on two mm. instead. So I think because like, like Pokemon is so cheap, and how it has the different versions, like all they do is just have different sets of right. Pokemon that you can catch. But this yep. is like. It seems like a lot of effort to have it's two actually games different that are very mechanic. similar, right? Yeah. This, this is like the, and the, not many people are going to buy both. It just seems like an interesting decision. Well, the two the two games are really similar in terms of the, the assets and the sounds and everything that they share with each other. But I mean, you're for one thing, you're playing in two different locations, 
I'm, I think it's two different worlds even. Mm. Um, and you know, everything's different. Like the, the, the dungeons are different and, oh, yeah. you know, stuff like that. So, but it was actually, you know, it's a good point. Cause it was during that time where, you know, Pokemon is the shit and people are looking at ways to like, how can we pair up our games with each other? Yeah. Like, what can we do to, yeah. And I mean, I wouldn't, I mean, Pokemon just seemed like a cheap way to get like people who are mega fans to buy the game twice kind of and it was easy for them to do that the thing with pokemon is that i mean i know that it was cheap but i and i knew it at the time but i was still like totally in love with the idea that you needed the other thing yeah and like you need to encourage people if you only do have one of them it's cool that it encourages you to find someone who has the other one Mm -hmm. well i when I was like 10, I moved into a new house and I, I met, you know, the neighbor, the neighbor kids, like on like the first day I was there. And um, it was back at that time when everyone had Pokemon and everyone kind of had it in their pocket even. So I made fast friends with this, with this kid. And then he and I were just like, you know, I had the blue, blue version and he had red version. And then we just thought, do you want to start a new game together at the same time? play Pokemon mm-hmm. and just finish it, like get everything. Yeah. And we did that together. And it, t- it took us about 25 hours to do everything, but we did it like, like crazy people. Um, and I mean, like I know, so on the one hand, yeah, it's sort of like blue version and red version. And maybe it is a little cheap. Like I, I'm, what I'm trying to say is this seems like it's not very cheap. Like it was no. very hard for them to pull this off, but uh, like, it seems not worth it if you're going to make, two entirely different games and maybe you shouldn't release them at the same time and like build them as being kind of the same but different yeah and i mean all the i guess there is a danger in that that people are gonna unlike pokemon i guess with something like this maybe you will just choose one or the other yeah if i was a kid i wouldn't have gotten both of those games like well i mean i already said like i thought i had oracle of ages so i looked Mm -hmm. i looked in you know i looked in my my closet through all my old stuff and i was oh i've got oracle of seasons and like like i said i was sort of like okay i think i can still talk about this i just don't really know anything about it so maybe you're right maybe it's like you didn't really need both so unless maybe you're like a super fan you're just gonna buy one and be happy with that too i want to give a little bit of a background into the game but i don't want to get too in depth like i'm writing an essay or whatever because i mean if you're interested in some of the specifics, you can just look it up yourselves. But I think it, you know, you should give credit where credit's due for the people who worked really hard on these on these games. Obviously, it's a Nintendo property, The Legend of Zelda. So it was published by Nintendo, but what's interesting to me actually is that it was uh, actually developed by Capcom, um, who I, you know, I, I really love Capcom, especially this in this time period, 2001 and before. Um, Mm -hmm. that sort of Capcom to me is kind of like the best because it's like, it's still the time where like, I don't know, a lot of, a lot of like really nice pixel art games are coming out and Mm -hmm. a lot of really nice 2d games. And I think like, I think like Capcom was at the top of their game in terms of producing 2d stuff. And they had a, they, you know, they had a pretty healthy history with RPGs and adventure games and stuff like that as well. So yeah, Capcom, but actually the company that really did the bulk of the work was called Flagship, and Flagship were a subsidiary of Capcom. Flagship did a bunch of 
cool stuff. And they're not really around anymore, but they got folded into into Capcom about a decade ago. But they made some good stuff while they were did working. Did they do anything after? After this game? Yeah. Yeah, they did a they did a bunch of other games. Any I think big ones? They were involved in like developing ideas for existing franchises and developing mm-hmm. installments. So one thing they did was they made two I thought this was really cool. They made two pitches um for Resident Evil Four that were not accepted in the end so they had a couple of draft versions of resident evil 4 and i think you can actually find footage of that online where it looks really cool where they're Mm -hmm. you know resident evil 4 i don't know if you guys are familiar with that like that could be its own episode on its own but resident evil 4 was like a really great sort of fast-paced action game and and the first couple drafts that flagship did i think were a lot more along like horror or like haunted house vibe so Mm -hmm. really kind of different Mm -hmm. way of looking at it it was directed by uh, Hidemaru Fujibayashi, who I actually hadn't really heard of before, but it turns out he's done a bunch of cool stuff. And he's actually, from, from this point onwards, it's sort of interesting historically because he goes from this game to basically working on a bunch of the uh, Zelda games in the future as a director. So he was involved as a director for games like the Minish Cap, for example, on Game Boy Advance, but then also moved on to eventually have a directing role in Skyward Sword. And then there was this little release that kind of like slipped by recently that not not a lot of people have heard about, and you might have missed it, but it was called uh, Breath of the Wild. Um, <laughs> I thought you were going to say like that crossbow game. Like oh, yeah, Link's crossbow. crossbow, crossbow <laughs> Link's crossbow training. Yeah. No, it was Breath of the Wild. I'm just, you know, Breath of the Wild is amazing, obviously. Yeah. But, I mean, everyone's already said that. Um, but I thought it was it was great because, like, honestly, I'm not really a big Zelda fan. Um, there are a few titles that I really kind of, like, adore. Like, I love Oracle of Ages and Oracle of Seasons. And I love A Link. A Link uh, to the Past, yeah. Yeah. That's and, my and, favorite. Yeah, A Link to the Past is good. And um, maybe my favorite of all of them, though, is Link's Awakening, the other the other Game Boy title. There's just something about how how tight these experiences are when you get them in, in this format that really appeals to me. Like I, f- I feel sort of like, especially with these games, cause they're Game Boy Color games from 2001. I feel like they really know exactly what they're doing with the system. They've had years and years mm-hmm. with the Game Boy format in general. They've had like several years with the Game Boy f- uh, Color specifically. And now they're just doing like very, very, very good work. Um, and it's also right on the cusp of the release of the Game Boy Advance. So in some ways, it's like one of the last, you know, one of one of the last big pushes they make for the Game Boy Color before the Game right. Boy Advance is out. Other than that, though, I was going to say Breath of the Wild is really awesome. And I love it. And it's sort of... Do you have a Switch? Or you play someone uh, I have a Switch. Um, by which I mean there is a Switch in my house. I didn't buy it and I didn't really, I didn't really go to get one because there's like a lot of hysteria mm. for, for, for getting one, you know, not anymore, though, right? not anymore. But at the time I was like, this looks neat, but it's like a rat race just to get your hands on one of these mm. things. So I I thought I'd just hold off, but then, you know, there was actually a chance to get one later and ended mm. up getting one. So, which is great, you know, and Breath of the Wild's awesome, but yeah, everyone already knows that. And I, I'm then I'm here to tell you that Oracle of Seasons is awesome, and hopefully you're going to enjoy it. 
Yeah, I'd like to dig into that because I haven't played. I actually haven't played much Game Boy Color. Yeah. Yeah. Did you own one? I owned one, but a lot later than it came out. Because my friend was just like, hey, you want this for $15? I was like, well, shit, yeah. I was still playing more of the newer systems at the time and never really got around to it. So I hope it'll be fun for you to do this kind of thing. I just thought it would be fun where we would just sort of have to force each other to play specific things mm-hmm. and go through these specific like things that we would think are like personally important for whatever reason. What about you, Dan? Did you have a Game Boy Color? Oh, yeah. That was a big experience for me when I first got one. I got Pokemon Blue and like I was very obsessed with it. Yeah. My parents like limited the amount of time I played it, but like that was all I thought about for a long period of my childhood. Yeah. <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah. Nintendo, you know, they really squeezed as much as they could out of the Game Boy format. Like first with the Game Boy, then with the Game Boy Pocket. Then after that, in Japan, they had the Game Boy Light, which we never got, which is too bad because I I think it was pretty cool. Basically like a a Game Boy where the screen is actually illuminated, so it's much, much easier to see. Then, you know, uh, Game Boy Color after that. But this whole thing has like a lifespan that's like well over a decade, and they just keep getting more and more and more out of this really you know like simple uh, compared to what some of the competitors were coming up with relatively simple hardware and like that was actually i think what really allowed them to succeed and like to thrive was that they were not really that focused on competing against something that was boasting like you know full color with with the light and this and that Mm -hmm. um because they could just focus on essentially making good games that would cost less and particularly that's why Pokemon, well, that's what, part of why Pokemon was so successful was how inexpensive it was at the time. And I, th- I think too, I had also heard by the time Pokemon came out in Japan, it was like a sleeper hit for the system. Like it wasn't, it wasn't intended to be as big as it was. Mm. And it, it kind of gave the entire Game Boy a huge second wind in, yeah. in sales. And so that had a, this massive effect where the system stayed alive and more games came out for it. And I think at the time they were considering just, you know, putting the whole thing to bed and, and coming out with a successor for it. Right. But I think Pokemon changed their plans there. I'm going to dig out my old Game Boy. Yeah. Because there's no other way to play a game like Legend of Zelda and the original system. Yep. Oh, that reminds me. Ages and Oracle of Seasons are available on the original Game Boy Color, but they're also downloadable titles for the Nintendo 3DS oh, as yes. well. So, you know, do the right thing. I might actually do that. Yeah, I, I do have a 3DS, and it might be more comfortable to play it on that than to play it on some sort of thing that would enable me to play it on my PC. What the fuck well, are you <laughs> talking about? <laughs> hey, it would be nice to not be sitting at a desk. Yeah, exactly. You'd play it yeah. too, right? Like, you know? nice to, so, well, that's part. I don't. Yeah, that's the thing, right? I work at my computer all the time, and so it's hard to yeah. sit down and play something there. So, yeah. do you think how much does it? Do you think it costs on the 3DS? Uh... It was more than five dollars. I think that's asking a little much. I don't know. Probably not too much. I don't own a 3DS because I went with God's chosen system, the PlayStation Vita. Uh, so I couldn't really tell you. I'll report back on that. Okay. <laughs> no, it's not a report. Oh yeah, oh, no, it's shit. not a report. Well, that's it. I'll see you guys in a week. Have fun with it, and uh, let me know what you think. Okay, so 
we played Oracle of Seasons, and now we're here to talk about it again. So what did you guys think? So I guess I think one thing that I'm going to be going back to a lot as I talk about it is like, how does it hold up by today's standard by today's standards and how might it have appeared back then? Oh yeah. So if I put myself in the mindset of, of when that game came out, which you want to remind me of exactly what year it was like 2001. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Then if I put myself back to that time, it's pretty impressive. But if I look at it from 2017, there's um, a lot to be desired, I'd say. Yeah. In terms of, I think I'm not even going to like go after it visually because obviously that, that was like a hard um, limit of the time, but more in a design sense. Mm-hmm. And I have, I have some examples of parts where I was frustrated and parts that were just kind of absurd and maybe just bad design by today's standards. Okay. Um, uh, shoot. What do you think? Um, and like things that were bad design. Yeah. I just completed the second temple um, and I fought the boss there. <laughs> um, the, uh, the floating face. Yeah. Is that Snake's Remains? Yeah. The temple yeah. was called Snake's Remains. Yeah. Um, the temple was called Snake's Remains. There's a few snakes crawling around, but otherwise it's not really a consistent theme. Okay. <laughs> um, visually, it looks the same as the first dungeon, which I'm yeah. not, they only, there's only so many sprites they can fit in that thing. So, I'm well, gonna, we can, we can talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about that? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I've, I have played this game before and I have played Oracle of Ages as well. And that's one thing that, um, as much as I like the games, I never really loved the dungeons, not because like, because, you know, there are interesting aspects of the dungeons and there, there are mm-hmm. some pretty interesting puzzles and challenges and stuff. But, um, visually the dungeons kind of look, um, sort of, I guess they remind me of like, chess boards or like mm-hmm. things things something assembled from colored blocks or something like that which is not really nearly as as exciting to explore as like a changing wilderness that cycles yeah. through different seasons yeah. Mm-hmm. um yeah um so yeah vis- i mean visually the second dungeon looks like the first and yeah. a bunch of that and i kind of expect that's what the rest are going to be like yeah for the most part yeah a lot of them um yeah, and so I guess, um, like, if I'm if I'm saying what I, I'm criticizing right now, to go back to that dungeon, um, I was stuck at one point because the visual language seemed unclear. I got the power bracelet, and I tried pulling at these blue barrier things. I couldn't really tell what they were. They were just blue walls, they looked like to me. Mm. And everything else with the power bracelet, I had to pull back so I could bring it over my head and mm. throw it down. Um, and then... This, at this point, I got stuck because I tried pushing against them. I guess I didn't push against them long enough, but mostly I tried pulling at them, which had no effect. Um, and I knew I had to do something with the power bracelet because that's yeah. the Zelda formula. You find your item, and then that helps you complete the dungeon. Yes. Um, but at that point, I, I wasn't sure at what point um, in perfecting the Zelda formula they were at this time. And maybe I wondered maybe if I actually had to leave the dungeon and... Um, use the power bracelet somewhere else. And at that point I was, I was a little overwhelmed by, by thinking of going outside again and finding some other place to use the power bracelet. So I put it down and then I talked to Graham at some point over the week and then he said, Oh yeah, those blueberries, you actually have to push them with the power bracelet, which seems obvious. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I, I know where you're coming from because on the one hand it's like, 
you get the you get the bracelet, mm-hmm. and the bracelet is mostly used for pulling things and lifting them over your head. Yeah. So you're typically pulling against stuff, and then you get to these barriers, and the barriers don't really look. They don't. I they don't. They don't they look were. very they, much like <laughs> the, the other things you interact yeah. with using the power bracelet. So usually you're picking up pots or boulders mm-hmm. or whatever and lifting them over your head. Yeah. Um, and what, you, like with the barriers, it's like you got to hold hold, you know, the button, hold the button, push against, push into them it, and then for you a little have bit to, more yeah. than a second, kind of. Yeah. 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 And then and once I once you told me that, I went back and I I got to the end of the dungeon, and then I guess I'll wrap up what I'm saying about this dungeon, um, and and then I got to this boss, this goofy floating face who has three phases. He drops fire, he drops spiders for you to kill, and he opens up holes in the floor, which was cool at first. And he just repeats these phases over and over. And mm-hmm. I played that battle for a while thinking I just had to survive because I couldn't slash his face. And I thought, well, this is the kind of boss where you, you wait him out and then eventually he has a weak spot or eventually you just win if you wait long enough. And it took a long time and I died and I reset and I was waiting a long time going through these phases. And then finally... I started to think, okay, I'm doing something wrong. There's got to be a way to interact with this boss. Power bracelet is the item I got. And in most Zelda games, you have to use the item to defeat the boss. Yep. Well, I was wrong. But I first tried to pick up the spiders for the power bracelet. Yeah. <laughs> didn't, it didn't work. It's like, I died one time butting my face against these stupid spiders. And then, then I got the clue only because I killed enough spiders to notice that their drop rate of the bomb was higher than other items. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? So I turns out the ghost face in the Temple of Snakes, where you get the power bracelet, can only be killed with bombs. And you get and the bombs the first time. And that's good design. <laughs> one, where you don't even need that yeah. to fight the boss. And the bombs are a limited item. You could walk in that room with zero bombs and have to kill a bunch of spiders even to get enough bombs to kill the boss. Well, it's very true to life in that sense. That yeah, I don't think that's what Zelda is going for. The way to kill them is, or to kill the floating faces. Yeah. You have to use bombs against them. That's yeah, and also, life. like... I mean, that's how I do it. It's also, like... Every, my day-to-day life. It's, you know, to be fair to it, just like in real life, maybe don't pick up spiders. <laughs> you know? <laughs> go, go get it. But, um... So I just think that um, I'm not going to... Because obviously this game was was really impressive for its time, and especially on the Game Boy Color. But if that came out today as an indie game, as I think if this game were to come out today, it would be an indie game. Fair enough. Um, I think people would find that, would call that bad design. And if someone took that game, like someone we knew took that game to us and they told us mm-hmm. to play test it, I think I would tell them that it's kind of silly to... Is there a 2D Zelda that you can think of that that kind of you're comparing to that fixes those problems? Um, I haven't played that many 2D Zeldas. I played the Minish Cap, um, and I I don't remember it enough. But I'm I think by that point they probably I think they had been come closer to like here's refining that formula. Here's the the thing though. I played the 3D ones. Here's the thing with Zelda. um, Which is why typically I would say like I'm not really a fan of zelda in general is that like i get really sick of the formula that that shows up in a lot of the games especially like in a lot of the 3d games where it's like you go to a place you know you're you're in this this dungeon or temple or whatever you go through this process you get an item you know immediately that that item is something that you're going to practice using in order to defeat a mini boss you get through the rest of the dungeon or the temple or whatever it is, use that item a few more times, get to the boss, 
you know with certainty that like this is the item you have to use mm. to defeat the boss and um that's all right like that's fine i don't it's not like i really dislike that i just dislike seeing that again and again and again mm. for like eight dungeons in right. a, in a game where it's always the same and especially some of the later games have these problems where it's sort of like the the items are like fun to use and they're cool and they seem pretty neat but they only really have like that one moment to flourish inside of that dungeon yeah and then when you're out in the world in the rest of the world or in later dungeons sometimes it's like well this this item i've got is like not really useful anymore which is actually is it's almost asking too much of them that if they have eight dungeons or more each with their own unique item that they could somehow well keep all of them in play you know that'd be hard. It would. Be, it would be. But like, I mean, they have done it recently, in my yeah. opinion, with like um, Breath of the Wild. How okay. like pretty much everything that you can obtain in Breath of the Wild can be used in so many different ways, and mm-hmm. it's like really it's applicable to so yeah. many different situations. And I mean, that must be like a gargantuan task to design that and to and to make yeah. it work. But I mean, I know what you're saying, though. I think with this game, how you're saying, like, it's frustrating. Mm-hmm. It's obtuse. It's, yeah, it's obtuse. Um, but that's what I expect of older games. Like, sure. In general. Yeah. But, so. One thing that I think is, like, is my feeling on the game is, like, I do, I do love the game. You know, I love the atmosphere of it, and I love it aesthetically. You know, I love, I love the graphics, and I love the sound, and, and the characters, and, like, this sense of fun that's there. And the sense of exploration is nice, too. But, like, I'm not really, I'm not really there for, I guess, the gameplay or the design. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't find it that compelling. Mm-hmm. And um, I think, like, especially playing this again, I remember that old feeling where it's like you've missed something somewhere. So, mm-hmm. like, maybe you missed talking to somebody, or yeah. maybe you missed finding something hidden that you, you know, that you might need to progress. And then it's like okay, I'm going to walk back to, you know, the village and then I'm going to talk to people in the village. Maybe I missed yeah. this person or that person. Yeah. And like, and then, so when you're out in the wilderness and it's like time to go back to the yeah. village and you're walking back, it's sort of just like, like a slog. Yeah. And it's, right. and I think the difference between uh, when I played those games originally that had the possibility of that happening that felt like slogs is that I just had way more determination as yeah. a kid to complete the game, more yeah. time to do it, mm-hmm. and more tolerance for that kind of stuff. Yeah. And today, I just don't have mm-hmm. as much tolerance for a game just like wasting time. I will tolerate it if... I'll definitely tolerate it if I think the experience is like charming enough mm-hmm. that it's keeping me there. Right. And like for me personally, like this is charming mm-hmm. enough because mm-hmm. it is a slog to like walk from here to there when you're like oh i missed something so i gotta walk back mm-hmm. but for me the way that i am looking at it like actually quite literally looking at it is just like i fucking love this this art and i love the colors and mm-hmm. i love how sometimes you walk into a new area and the screen fades to white and fades back and then mm-hmm. it's no longer summer it's skipped over to yeah. winter and just like i love seeing all of that mm-hmm. like it's great and then, I mean, on the note of, like, always feeling like you're in a slog, at least one thing that they did was they have, like, that the witch 
the witch girl maple who like sometimes rides mm-hmm. in yeah and then like you know she's there because the music changes and you see like her shadow kind of mm-hmm. zooming by and that for me sometimes m- didn't really make it worth it like that sort of like persistent non-stop you know just like the the how arduous it can be sometimes just mm-hmm. to walk from point a to b but it spiced it up a lot and i liked you know i liked i liked you know one-upping her in those challenges and then she'd get upset and then you might get a couple extra items out of the deal mm-hmm. or something so that was good so at least maybe they were thinking of that yeah in a way yeah um yeah i thought it was charming i think i i was kind of on board with it until i got to the dungeons like the the first bit of like getting the sword like being defenseless they really played that up that was that's great though getting the sword right? felt really good yeah and i i liked some of the charms i really liked how the the maku trees that i say it um had a big snot bubble and yeah. pop it. like i love that yeah uh, <laughs> i liked it too like and every time you needed to talk to him face to face you have to pop the bubble yeah and so on the one hand to be gross in real life <laughs> <laughs> yeah it'd be like inflated tree sap or something like yeah. this viscous kind of <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. i i did like that too because i mean effectively i mean it's the same thing when you want to talk to an npc you might hit the a button mm-hmm. i talk quick, quickly learned to bind the talk to npc button to the sword so i wasn't dropping bombs in front of people oh that yeah was, that was a minor frustration yeah um so if at worst i just swing my sword instead of wasting my stuff there yeah. was a yeah. moment in the in the gnarled group dungeon where I first got those flame seeds where you can mm-hmm. yeah. light the torches. Yeah. And there was a chest in the next room that I didn't want to it wouldn't open because I uh with with hitting it or whatever, it, it opens with the normal opening the chest, which is the same button yeah. as using the seeds. And I didn't yeah. want to use the seeds. Yeah. <laughs> so it was kind of like I wanted to just unequip it first and yeah. use it just in mm-hmm. case I didn't waste it. It's not great. Yeah. Maybe that's a limitation of the controller does just has A and B. So yeah. I yeah. guess, you know. Yeah, it does. It, it, if we were making it, if we were remaking the game today, you could have some sort of visual indicator that you are in a, you're at a point where pressing the button won't use the seed, yeah. but it will open the chest. Right. Something like that. Um, this is like kind of related, but sort of not really. But I always really loved the ring menu system from Secret of Mana mm-hmm. and, and a couple of the sequel games there where it's like, if you want to change your weapon, you sort of bring up this that, this circular menu with icons of what your other weapons are. And then you kind of it's just... Like like, a, it's like a flat circle that you're looking at. Yeah. And then, and then you can sort of spin the circle okay. with the D-pad and select whatever it is. And like, I'm not saying... I'm not saying that that like they should put that in the Legend of Zelda. I just wanted to say I really love that. Yeah, I, because because I don't the, think it'd be wrong. The reason I the reason I love it is like it keeps the act of um, of navigating a menu just fun on its own. Mm-hmm. And like to be fair, it's not fun really to equip and unequip items in this game because like you have yeah. to hit you have to hit a start button. And then you hear that noise and it's like fades to white. And there's, there's always that bit of latency between, and then you have to get back into the action and everything. But, you know, I mean, as opposed to something like secret of mana, where every time I wanted to change, uh, to a different weapon or use an item or like cast a spell, it was like purely fun, like visually. And in terms of like the kind of feedback you got navigating this menu Mm -hmm. was awesome. And I think that like, 
in games like this where there's a lot of items and it's basically a lock and key scenario like this item yeah. unlocks this mm-hmm. challenge or this item fixes this or does this it's like you're going to be changing around items so much especially with a with a two button controller yeah and so and like was. as you know, I always appreciate it when games kind of do as much as they can to make that menu like yeah. satisfying. Especially because if you want to um, be an optimal fighter in that game in um, the Oracle of the Seasons, um, you have to. You want to be carrying around your boomerang if you want to be disposing of en- enemies in an efficient yeah, yeah, way. Yeah. So if I, not only do I have to switch <laughs> off every time I have to use a utility item. And if I want to be a good fighter, I have to switch back to boomerang, mm. walk around, find the stump, switch to the rod, jump on the stump, change the seasons. Back to Actually, I was going to say, you know, and I love, I love this game and I love changing the seasons and I love all of that. Mm-hmm. But I wished, and I mean, now, of course, it's kind of like what you said earlier, Dan, where it's like, we're looking at it now and mm-hmm. we're applying what we think about design mm-hmm. now. And in, in some ways, maybe that's not mm-hmm. super fair. But when you jump up onto the stump, it's like, how come I can't just jump up onto the stump yeah. and just and automatically hit, yeah. hit because any that's button, the only thing the rod does. hit any button and then use the rod? Yeah. Because the rod effectively does nothing else mm-hmm. in the game. Yeah. You can use it to bat enemies, oh, yeah. but like you don't do damage to them, but you can knock them back. And that's yeah. actually pretty fun because huh. if there are like holes around that they can fall through yeah sometimes i just enjoy the feeling of like i hit you with this useless item and then you fell down well, a hole little wobbly yeah. guys in the first dungeon where you the only way to kill them is to knock them into a hole it's yeah. like a style thing if, if a game can have you have your own play style maybe you just like doing that yeah well i always liked fun. doing it because it's that feeling of like you know, I got you, you idiot. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't even a sword. It's just, it's like, it's a rod. It doesn't even do damage and like, gotcha. But like, when you are going onto the tree stump to change seasons with the rod of seasons, I wish you could just walk up to it, do that cool front flip animation that he does, which looks awesome. Yeah. Land on the stump and then whatever button you press, yeah. you just use the rod. Because otherwise, it's like, yeah, you got to go into the menu and you got to select the Rod of Seasons. I don't think you can even jump on the stump unless you have the Rod equipped, right? Oh, is that so? I think so. Hmm. I could be wrong. I, di- I didn't try, yeah. honestly, beforehand. I had a, a thing about the items. I was wondering, if this was on my mind, and you were talking about how it was annoying to waste the Ember Seeds. Mm-hmm. Um, there didn't seem any good reason, and this actually could be applied to later Zeldas, there didn't seem like any good reason to make the bombs or the seeds um, consumable. Oh, like, yeah. Why do they have to deplete? The game is so set on making sure you have enough at all times mm-hmm. because... They give you a lot. They give yeah, you like 20. They make sure of it. They, they make sure that you start cutting the grass, you're going to get all your items back. Yeah. I, I couldn't tell, but it seemed like maybe it even um, gave me items based on what I was missing. That's what... Some I guess they can see that the bombs being finite because maybe it's OP if you just have lots of bombs. I don't mm-hmm. know, but yeah. Um, but they like for the boss fight with the um, the floating face that of course you need to bomb the floating yeah. face. Yeah, they had to be. They had to also have the spiders drop bombs, which actually in that battle was the hint that led me to use them in the first place. Mm-hmm. To be fair, Do you know what? But you know, far be it for me to tell anyone what to do. But I think if I was in charge of designing that scenario, what I would do is I would have the boss, instead of dropping spiders from the ceiling, I would drop live bombs that you you could, that you could pick up and throw. Yeah. 
And then if, if, if like, if I was designing that scenario and they said, okay, there's this, there's this boss and the only way to hurt it is with bombs. Mm-hmm. I would like, I would skip this whole spider thing and just drop yeah. live bombs. I think, I think we'd go right back to the drawing board. Cause why, <clears throat> why is a floating face unaffected yeah. by a sword, but can be affected by a bomb? <laughs> or I would just spiders carry a bomb. Like why are we yeah, fighting yeah, the floating yeah. face? Or, or um, it'd be really neat if there was a spidery insect type design with a bomb on its back. Yeah. That when you killed it with the sword, it would drop a bomb, yeah. right? That mm-hmm. would be, yeah, that, like that would be fun. Yeah. I mean, like Dan, you said, like you would go back to the drawing board. Well, like, let's go back to the drawing board. It's called the lair of snakes or whatever. How about the boss is a fucking snake? Yeah, snakes, snakes <laughs> and like, remain. And, it, and it's like, it, um, it, it goes around gobbling anything in its way and you drop a bomb and then it eats the bomb. That's, yeah, that'd, that's be great, right? that'd be neat. <laughs> Although, to be fair, maybe they were trying to avoid the 2D Zelda thing that's really common where it's like, put a bomb in this thing's mouth. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't like, think it was common at that point. No, no and also, I guess not. But I really think they were limited in terms of the tech a lot. Like, yeah. I'm imagining right now, like, making a snake and having all the segments follow each other and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, Oh, did you know, actually, I might have... Uh, I should have mentioned this before, but um, I think these games originally started as remakes of the original game. Mm. Um, which is so so the boss in um the gnarled root dungeon a goofy dragon is yeah. that dragon thing yeah. that's that's somewhere. yeah the dragon with the horn that's one of the bosses yeah. from the uh, legend of zelda the on the nes yeah. yeah yeah and so maybe because maybe, maybe the face maybe the face ghost thing probably yeah. is might be the I same would, where they're like well we're, <laughs> we're reusing old yeah. bosses i was gonna bring up the goofy dragon as as a kind of a silly <laughs> boss but then i realized that yeah it was either an homage or, or yeah. a direct supposed to be the direct port of the original i like the dragon like he looks good. but why is he in the gnarled root dungeon i don't he know he should be in the the wyvern's keep or something you know i see what is it to all the other bosses in in the rest of the game are they kind of tied to no the dungeon not <laughs> they're I'm, all I'm guessing not yeah, because no. <laughs> the whole the I, rest as far as place. i as far as i can recall the whole issue that dan seems to have sort of persists where it's like i guess it is interesting where it's like that the outside world is very like thematically tight mm-hmm. you know with this the seasonal changes Mm-hmm. but then like the dungeons are these kind of things where sometimes you're like i didn't know i had to do that and i'm not sensing a theme here mm-hmm. like i'm not picking yeah. up and it's hard because i don't want to say that's a bad thing because like again in breath of the wild it's like the fact that that is not part of the design the fact that breath of the wild is so open-ended is like the the best thing about it mm-hmm. but i guess the problem is like if you if you go halfway between like, this is a prescriptive thematic experience. And then like, this is more kind of trial and error and experimentation. And it's like, if you only go halfway between those two like nodes and maybe you don't do it with enough, like enough of a flourish in the execution, I think the player kind of feels like it's not even that thing where the player's like, Oh, I feel like an idiot. It's that thing where they're like, Oh, come on. Like, which I get. I mean, that, that would be a problem. At the end of the day, though, like, you know, since this is the one that I suggested that we play, like, I, I will put up with with um, a lot of shortcomings in a game like mm-hmm. this. And I'm just, sure I would have played so this nice. much as a kid. I would have 
Yeah. Totally put up with it. Yeah. 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 I mean, it wouldn't have even seemed like shortcomings at the time. Yeah. And the other thing too is like when I was playing this game for the first time, I was really into the artwork, like the official art that Mm -hmm. you can see in the manuals and things like that. And that like it, it brought like the, the vibe to to like a more thing, Um, like a living place in my mind where mm -hmm. I'm like, because, I mean, I still think the art is really excellent. Like, the, the instruction manual and yeah. promo art. And uh, I, I watched... I wish I could remember which YouTuber this was, but I, I watched a video, and it might not have even been the focus of the video, but it was, it was called, I think, the telescope effect, where if you... If you if the only context you have of, like, a character is just their, their 8-bit form, then that's fine. But if you can... At first see them in higher detail and then see them in their 8-bit mm-hmm. form then you kind of imagine them oh yeah more vividly so that's like what you're saying if you first look at the beautiful art and then you play the game and realize oh that sprite represents that beautiful thing that i remember yeah yeah that's gonna totally change the experience and i think that um if i'm i was thinking about fire emblem recently after playing pyre and they do that because the sprites are really really uh, low res and simple because there's a lot of them on the screen in fire yeah mm. um but you see the characters in high detail when they're talking so you yes. know who's who and you think of them that way when you oh little sprites this reminds me i really wanted to talk about this actually which is i love the way that this game opens because if we're talking about like sprites at higher detail or lower detail yeah. or the official art did you guys watch the introduction like before you know, like the automatic yeah. roll. So yeah. if you if you don't sure, if you yeah. if you start the game and you don't press any buttons, you yeah. see like the Link's riding a horse. Yeah, yeah he's riding a horse. horse. And like it, that is so fucking good. Like to me, like I'm in I'm in love with that whole sequence where it's mm. like he's riding a horse. And I mean, yeah, there are like four different art styles that they seem to be using for that introduction. It's like you see Link from a distance and he seems to be drawn with this one particular art style, and then you see a close up of him and the animation's more limited and he's got a black outline now or whatever. <laughs> but like that whole thing for me is like great. And again, like, I guess it set the tone for me and it set like this expectation for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's really well drawn. And like at the end of that sequence where you pan up into the sky and it's like a, a really super blue sky with these like really rich looking textured clouds. Mm. And then you, you know, you pan up and you stop panning and then the actual logo comes in for Oracle of Seasons and the music comes in. Mm. Like that's like so good. And it's like, you know, if you're like me, then that's like something you'll get really into. Mm. Um, And then when you're actually playing the game and like you're meeting the Oracle of Seasons and it goes into those, um, those bits of illustration where it's like you, and the Oracle Din are dancing. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's just like one drawing that I think yeah. they pan across this yeah. drawing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you know, Link is looking like a goof, <laughs> like yeah. dancing like, Ugh, and, yeah. and Din looks really cool. And like, but that art is like so good. And for me, prior to playing this game where you're, you are this tiny little sprite of Link, it's like they give you the intro and you see this like really nice art of him. And then you meet the Oracle Mm-hmm. And you see, you get a context for it, kind of like what you said earlier, Dan, where it's yeah. like, you know what he looks like, and now he's yeah. a little dude. And I just think, like, it just really brings it alive for me. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that's that's why I like this game. It lets you still use your imagination in now even thinking, 
of what what else is going on in that higher res kind of mm-hmm. the cutscene kind of thing. yeah yeah um, I like that and I value that a lot in video games that the idea of having a little bit of imagination hmm. for yourself it's that that sort of vibe of like the game is here and it's giving you something but it's presenting it in a context where you have enough of a creative license to see deeper into this experience and it's like a mirror and it's showing you kind of like your take on it Hmm. and i mean i mentioned secret of mana before when i talked about the ring menu system yeah but i watched a playthrough of Secret of Mana recently by the Super Beard Bros on YouTube. Um, they did like a playthrough with Pro Jared, and like it's a it's a really good playthrough. I think it's like really entertaining. But I watched them kind of like blitz through this game really quickly, and because mm-hmm. when I was a child, I played Secret of Mana. It took me quite a while. Yeah, and I just watched them blitz through it, and like I'm an adult now, and when I was I like saw all this dialogue that the characters were saying and the scenes and the drama, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh my god, like. I, I didn't, I don't remember it this way. Mm-hmm. When I was a child, I remember like I was absorbed in the atmosphere of this video game. I like, I extrapolated my own kind of drama mm-hmm. that I applied to it that I think like the graphics and the music and the atmosphere of the whole experience was like suggesting to me things that were not really explicitly there, but that I kind of convinced myself were there. And that's how I feel about a lot of, you know, the games that I played when I was younger. I feel that way now. I feel like it's a shame, actually, because I feel like my imagination is weaker. Hmm. And, um, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, now I, now I definitely know how it would have felt, I guess, to be my dad and to watch me when I'm like, you know, 10 playing a Super Nintendo game hmm. and just for, you know, because from an adult perspective, you're kind of like, what the fuck is going on? Like, this is, how can you sit here and yeah, play this that, for hours? My parents said comments like that. Yeah. But th- it was more when I was, they were more baffled by, like, multiplayer games where, like, they were always seeing me doing the same things. Like, Super Smash Bros. Like, it looks, every time you look, it's, like, kind of the same thing going on. See, hmm. <laughs> my dad was, like, the opposite. Because my dad played multiplayer games. Okay. Like, he played, like, Descent 3, and then later he played, like, Half-Life, like, Deathmatch for Half-Life 2 and everything. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but then sometimes I was like, Dad, you play video games? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> and then I'm like, Dad, I have this, this like, finely crafted narrative RPG experience for you to enjoy. It's called, you know, whatever. And he'd just be like, I don't have any fucking time for that. <laughs> like, <laughs> which I get now. And, I mean, earlier, like we said, it's kind of like if you play a game now, it was why we're doing this whole thing. Cause like, if you play a game now, it's like, it's going to be overwatch or it's going to be like an online card game or, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to be a fighting game or something that you get done quickly. Mm-hmm. And like with games that are, cause nowadays we can push the boundaries of, of the tech and the hardware and graphics and resources that things get really realistic. Mm-hmm. And what you lose from that is sort of the areas that your imagination does fill in. It, like, fills in everything already for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's something really nice about that I can even still appreciate from playing older games yep. like this. 
yeah, you lose part of that. I mean, now we have, and we have had for a long time, like the competing power and the resources, and there is something lost. And I'm not advocating for like vague design. And I'm not, I'm not saying like detail is bad. And I'm not saying like detailed art is bad because it's actually pretty good. It's just like, there's more than one way to convey an experience, I guess. Mm-hmm. If it comes to something like, I really like Metal Gear Solid Five, and that's a very graphically rich experience Mm. but it kind of it works really well because it's like the metal gear series kind of is a series about detail it's like and especially in five it's sort of like everything's important like light and shadow and if you knock an object over it makes a noise and you might not want to do that because you might alert someone to your presence so in a game like that it's like give me as much detail as you can because it's part of the experience it's part of what makes it like cool Mm -hmm. but in a lot of ways like if you're adventuring through a world it's like the less the less detail almost you know the better because it's kind of like when you are playing this is the whole point of the silent protagonist and everything when you are playing these 2d zelda games and the 3d ones if you're going to talk about your experience, you're not going to say Link did this and then he defeated yeah, of the course. boss. You say, so, I did yeah. this. I defeated the boss. I traveled over here. I fought this. Mm-hmm. And that's great in an adventure game where it's like mm-hmm. you should project yourself into yeah. the game. And 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 the even if the character speaks and has its own personality, I think you if you're the one controlling it, you tend to say, I did it. Yeah. It's just what I've noticed from people talking about games. I find like, yeah, I mean, everything is good. Every, if it's, if it's done well, every kind of experience is good. But if I had to generalize, I would say like, I either like this one extreme of the spectrum, which is the silent protagonist says nothing. And then you project your mind into it, Mm -hmm. especially for maybe a game like Pokemon where you're like, this is my journey. This is my team of Pokemon. I chose to do this. And then I like the extreme other side of it, which is again, in RPGs, I generated the character. You know, I chose the details about what they look like. I choose all the dialogue options Mm -hmm. and I, I craft a kind of specific like role for myself so like you know there are good examples in the middle where it's like the developers made this story and you're playing a very clear cut character mm-hmm. there are good examples of that but i typically enjoy either one extreme or the other yeah it's like no detail or as much detail but it's all up to me mm-hmm. yeah I, I think because both of those options let you let you in to the experience yeah which is fun you know so adrian what did you think of the sound and the music two things that stuck out to me i was surprised that even though it was resource limited they could do things like the first time you meet din they have the music sort of fade in depending on how close to you are to that that room oh yeah 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 that was a little thing and it, it it wasn't a mind-blowing amazing kind of detail but it was a detail nonetheless and mm-hmm. just the fact that they could do that with the hardware and resources that was cool and something i particularly like in sound design is sound effects that aren't necessarily realistic but 
they use more like tonal kind of things that are satisfying. Mm-hmm. So when you when you get a rupee or or kind of open a chest, pick some picking up items kind of thing, it has a tonal mm-hmm. sort of a bleep or bloop to it or a flourish, mm-hmm. and that's something that's very characteristic of a lot of older games. I think. Mm. One thing I really like is when you um, when you go into the menu, like when you to like change out your weapon or whatever. Whatever music is playing is put into a kind of faded out, like subtler, quieter version of itself. So, like if you're in the village, it's not just the volume. Lord. Yeah, it's not just the volume. Okay. It's like it's it's a characteristic. Like if you're in the village or out in the world or wherever. You go into the menu, the same song is playing, but the instrumentation changes and like they sustain the notes for a shorter amount of time. Hmm. So like if, if it's like, if you're out in the world and it's like, da, 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 da. actually that's Link's Awakening. But if, and then you're in the menu, it goes like, ding, 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 okay. which is cool. great. Like, and, and again, you know, Adrian said, it's like, it's a detail. It's not. Hmm. It's not mind blowing, but all of this, it's like all this care and skill and thought is going into it and it like it pays off and it's part of the charm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really like the music and the sound in this game too. And I think it's interesting, Adrian, how you said like it's like sometimes the, it's not like, so to speak, totally accurate yeah. sounds, but it's like a, it's like a mood. Mm-hmm. Is being conveyed through these mm-hmm. sound effects. Yeah, totally accurate sounds weren't even possible, right? No, not really. Not you could get good crunchy sounds out of mm-hmm. out of the Game Boy Color, mm-hmm. like like kind yeah. of. But more like uh, yeah. audio files are big and they're trying mm-hmm. to fit it in mm-hmm. the cartridge. It's like the the thing that's good about high quality experiences like this is that the resources are limited, so you feel like every asset, almost every asset that's in there, is very well made. Mm-hmm. It's like there's like one sound for when you do damage to a boss or a mini boss, mm-hmm. and it's that like kind of noise, right? Yeah, yeah. But it's a great noise, and like it's satisfying. It's fun to hear on its own, and like sure, every boss and mini boss is making the same noise, but it's just like you can tell a lot of a lot of care and skill went into like the construction of that one noise. Yeah. So to hear it again and again is fine. Mm-hmm. You know, that makes it memorable too. Yeah. It's, like, it's, if you grew up playing this, you probably still, if you heard the sound, you could recognize. Yeah. You know, the sound. Yeah. And like so much of the sound is just so endearing as well in this game. Like, um, there's the kangaroo Ricky, I didn't get that. Yeah, neither of us got far enough to meet Ricky, but yeah, no, I would no. keep playing just yeah for that. <laughs> it is good. Like I don't like, you know, if you're frustrated with some parts of this experience in terms of design and mechanics, and like obviously I'm not going to pressure you to play it, but like when you meet Ricky, it's like he makes these noises. Yeah, and you you, I guess actually no, I guess Ricky's female because it's a kangaroo no, with yeah. a pouch, right? But his so, name is Ricky. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's 2017. Female kangaroos can be named Ricky. <laughs> yeah. I, no, female I've heard name. of females named Ricky, but not like R-I-C-K-Y. We're, we're here looking at this um, 
Legend of Zelda. What was the title of the book? It's the Hyrule Historia, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a picture of Link and Ricky, and it's spelled R I C K Y, which is only a short form for Richard. Hey, look, and I just Ricky, don't think there's very few males named Richard. Ricky's doing, Ricky's doing their own thing, you know. More power, more Maybe power to Ricky. Yeah, there's that a convoluted backstory. <laughs> Actually, there's it's part of the. Uh, yeah, know, I don't know. Uh, I, Sorry, <laughs> sorry. I just remembered how like complicated the official explanation for the Zelda timeline is. Anyway, but Ricky's great. Ricky makes these noises, you and you. It it looks great, like with the little sprites you're riding in the mm. pouch, and you are controlling Ricky. But there's a like a unique control scheme, and there's like this mechanic with, you know, punching, and you can actually wind up. You can wind up your fist mm. and when you punch you release a hurricane thing that goes mm. and travels forth. but like just at random Ricky will make like these <laughs> kind of noises <laughs> reminds me of some of the Pokemon sounds yeah like a lot actually of when the when you first see them like a Pidgey or something yeah they made similar sounds I mean we've talked about Pokemon a fair bit but it's unavoidable you know it's the Game Boy mm. but the the sounds in Pokemon are really brilliant and especially blue and red the amount of like of like trickery that they use to fit all that information into a cartridge mm-hmm. is like really astounding there's so many programming shortcuts that they took and with the sounds too like some of the pokemon in like blue and red version they share the same sound but they change it and they shift the pitch or they mm-hmm. make certain parts of it longer or whatever yeah. and it just feels like a new sound so yeah. again it's this thing where like those sounds were very distinctive. Yeah, they're, and they're they're you know Quite they're unique. distinctive. Yeah, they're sort of satisfying sounds. Yeah, yeah. you know, and I don't know. I it's never like thought this, about how much that brought me into that game, but I bet it did. Yeah, well, a lot of these things are like it's bridging the gap for you because mm. we talked about low fidelity and like high fidelity graphic representations of characters. As soon as you're adding sound and it's good sound, it's like it's an entirely new dimension to mm. like interface with this thing or uh, you know on the other hand you could turn all the volume off and just you know listen to your heavy metal albums if you <laughs> want instead which people do you know and if that's what people like to do that's fine i guess i like to do that with like Baldur's game yeah i'll just turn the music off and just like blast like heavy metal <laughs> i had a whole playlist for when i was playing divine divinity yeah and it was like wonder boy by tenacious d oh yeah um, immigrant song. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a good one. Um, yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm always impressed by this, the, the game boy, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of crap on the game boy. There's a lot of crap on every system. There's a lot of, yeah, whatever. there's garbage everywhere. Right. But it's like w- when these like big, productions like succeed in what they're trying to do it's just so impressive to me mm-hmm. yeah and when the smaller productions succeed too because pokemon was a smaller production at first you mm-hmm. know like it was mostly just crafted out of like this really sincere drive and passion to to get it done which is why it's so good i think you guys didn't play ages right <laughs> I, just, I almost did yeah. by accident because <laughs> we were talking about seasons yeah i was just gonna say like which you know which oracle's your favorite? You've got Din, the dancer. You've got Nehru. She's like a singer with a harp. 
This is like a judge of character. Mm-hmm. I'm going to judge you oh, guys yeah, based yeah. on which, Did we which meet oracle. Nehru? No, she's okay. just not in this oh, game. I see. Okay. So well, I, I don't know how I could make a judgment. I liked in yeah. the first impression. Right. Yeah. Yeah. She's a nice girl. <laughs> I did play Ages and I was always sort of like I just like there were these it's like a personality thing because mm-hmm. in the in the introduction to seasons it's like Dan is like come dance with me and then for me I'd, I'd just be like uh, okay <laughs> but like when you meet Nehru in Oracle of Ages she's like alright you can just sit there and chill out and I'm going to play the harp and sing and I'd be like, that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> I can just, I'll, you do your thing and I'll, I'll, I'll stand yeah. here. <laughs> I'll listen, sure. Yeah. If you are interested, though, Ages is pretty cool. Do they have the same dungeons? No. Okay. No, different dungeons. Ages is neat. It's, um, I think I prefer it to Seasons. But it's hard for me to justify why I prefer it. You know, the two games are so similar in their yeah. in their vibe. Yeah. I think it's just because anything to do with, like, time travel is pretty neat, mm-hmm. you know? And time travel, I guess, is a very Legend of Zelda mm-hmm. idea yeah. as well, which is, you know, which is mm-hmm. cool. All right. I think that about covers it. Would you guys say, like, that you enjoyed it? Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And I think I'll keep playing it actually oh great yeah 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 if you keep playing it adrian i'll i'll be it'll be good actually because i'll be like if you're working on like the music or the sound for for wow 10 i'll be like you know that in in oracle of seasons this Mm -hmm. part where this yeah that'll be good yeah you should do it yes it's it's your homework keep it up (laughs) um yeah i i mean i enjoyed it a lot. I, I loved having an excuse to dedicate serious time to it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, would you would you recommend it to anyone else? Um, I wouldn't tell them to. I don't know. I wouldn't say like, oh, here's look at this novel experience that you haven't had before. Like, right. I would say if you're interested in Legend of Zelda and you want to see one of the earlier entries in this series, go play it. Okay. Sure. Yeah, I don't know. I usually tend to recommend things that are that I feel are like pushing the boundaries today. Yeah, like I don't usually say I'll oh, go back and try that. Like, yeah. So Daniel here made Pony Island, <laughs> which if you haven't played it, uh, it pushes a couple boundaries here and there, <laughs> just just a little bit. Uh, yeah, if you have played it, you'll know what I'm talking about. But that's more like what you would. Yeah, I'm always looking for something like that or something that I think has exceptional quality right. by today's standards. Like like I was talking about Pyre to you guys, which oh. I think is just the Pyre. quality. Yeah, the quality of like the animation and sound is just so exceptional that it's not groundbreakingly original. It is in a lot of ways, but that's not why I'm recommending it. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Would you recommend it to anyone? I think in, well... The reason why I'm, I like to go back to it is because when I played older games as a kid, I didn't have a sense of game design or what's good, what's what I actually did like. I kind of just played it and couldn't really explain why I liked it. But I think now if I go back to playing older games like this, 
I I can sort of see things in that what I would like about it. Hmm. I really liked Link to the Past, and I di- I'd rather replay this, or I'd rather play this than that, just because I've already played that so much as a kid. Mm-hmm. I-, I guess I'll let you know once I play more of this. Yeah. Now you know how to beat the ghost face. <laughs> yeah, the ghost. Save yourself. The Don't ghost, pick up a spider. Yeah. The ghost face <laughs> killer. Um, so if, yeah, I feel that way too. Actually, Adrian, I feel sort of like, um, I don't really like um, thinking about game design much when I'm when I'm not working when I'm not working on Woten. It's like I really don't want to think about it and i feel like a lot of these games for me where the atmosphere or the level of quality is just so high Mm. it kind of helps me to sort of calm down and stop putting my analytical hat on every time i pick something up Mm -hmm. and like if the atmosphere is nice enough or if the art is nice enough or if the music is nice enough especially the music if it's like a good bit of like looping music it's like really pleasant to listen to or whatever it's just like it just helps me so much to just like chill out and actually play a game for a change yeah you know rather than like dissecting every experience that i have with these things where it's like you know how can i apply my thoughts to this and maybe learn something and Mm -hmm. it's kind of like it's kind of like once you learn a little bit about like film theory and then you're watching movies Mm -hmm. and you're kind of like putting on like your your story writing hat or whatever and you're just like not having as much fun yeah yeah mm-hmm. but anything like this gives me back that sense of fun which is you know why i wanted to recommend mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. yeah all right guys i think that's it thank you for listening everybody if you're still with us <laughs> uh we'll be back again soon and next time i'm recommending a game yeah. Oh. Next time it's Dan's turn to recommend something. And th- and this time it's personal because <laughs> it's a personal <laughs> recommendation of his. <laughs> but yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Me too. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Um, that's it. Oh, maybe next episode we'll have a name for our podcast. Yeah. Yeah. That's the show, everybody. Until next time. Tune in next week to find out who lives and who dies. <laughs>